Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Welcome to England Cricket on 99.94, the home of cricket audio. I'm Daniel Norcross from BBC Test Match Special, BT Sport, uh, Zero Ducks Given. And my co-host is Rory Dollard <laughs> from the Press Association, which I'm still, I'm not quite sure exists myself. I've, I've, I haven't seen Rory in a, a cricket match in, um, well, actually, days, in fairness, days yes. <laughs> we are your home of England cricket content, and we'll be right here several times every week discussing them. Uh, you can find us in your favourite podcast places on YouTube or in our 99.94 app. Thanks for joining Cricket's Conversation. Today, we are looking back at, well, a moving and extraordinary day, really, at the Oval. We're not going to focus too much on the action on the pitch. It was more how the game came about, the atmosphere in which it took place, and whatnot. But we will also be reflecting slightly on the performances of Harry Brook and Ollie Robinson, who had slightly contrasting first days of that test match. It may be the first of two. Uh, no doubt we will be back with another podcast reflecting on that test match in about 24 hours is how it currently feels. But uh, first of all, Rory, what uh, an extraordinary thing it was to be there yesterday. Um, when you had sat in the broadcast boxes, you're sort of slightly nervously wondering how you're going to do it. Um, obviously, lots of us are sort of talking about tone, concerned about, you know, pitching it right, asking ourselves whether the game should have gone ahead, which is something I'm going to ask you shortly. But time sort of creeps up on you, and then you realise, you see the sort of what it was in effect yesterday, kind of order of service. It was a bit different from a normal day's cricket. And we got this uh, sheet come through saying, telling us exactly what was going to happen when and when Laura Wright was going to come down and sing and when the players were going to line up and when the minute silence was going to be. And at about 10.52, which was around three or four minutes before the planned anthems and, and uh, minute silence, just became aware, just looking out of the window, the broadcast box, that everybody was standing up and were completely silent. And I thought, hang on. Have I missed the minute silence? I thought, you know, have, have I already messed up terribly badly on <laughs> before the game's even begun? Um, so I hastily went out to the balcony, you know, right next to the TMS box at the Oval. It's there's lots of spectators mm. there, and uh, and it was the most eerie and extraordinary thing because as the players came out and as Laura Wright came out, everybody had spontaneously stood up solemnly and in complete silence. I mean, I've never seen it anything like it. It was bizarre. And they weren't asked to, you know, now is the minute silence, please show your respect, etc. Mm. They just all spontaneously did it. And uh, and it stayed like that for, well, for about four or five minutes. And then there was a remarkable rendition of the anthems. Um, there was one man on the balcony eating a bacon sandwich. Everybody else. <laughs> you really shouldn't have done that, Dan. <laughs> it was not me. I was holding a bacon sandwich. Alex Hartley had just bought me a bacon sandwich, but I wasn't going to eat it at that point. I wasn't going to make the, the Ed Miliband mistake at that point. 
So, um, yeah, I mean, it was just, I'm, I feel quite moved actually recording it. And, and I don't, well, I suppose I do know why, but um, we were going to have a podcast yesterday and we were going to discuss the rights and wrongs, whether the game should have gone ahead. Mm. Uh, I, I thought that it, cricket played it perfectly yesterday. I don't know what it looked like from afar. Yeah, it, it, it was a, a moment where cricket administration and administrators in this country who don't always have a flawless track record about hitting the right tone, hitting the right moment, they got it very, very right yesterday in a way that probably will reflect that the Premier League didn't and that they perhaps missed an opportunity to to actually honour the moment in a slightly more relevant and, and fitting way, which is what you, you were part of yesterday at the Oval. Um, it, it did feel like, I mean, I've, I've covered a lot of football. As you know, I've been in stadiums, 60, 70,000 people, Champions League, international football. And, and that's that sort of mass congregation of reflection when, when something, whether it be a Hillsborough anniversary that I've been to, uh, where there's been events in the world that need to be marked or famous players have passed away. That that it's some of the most easily um, easy to remember moments that I've ever covered. Football is standing in a stadium with sixty thousand people and not hearing a sound. It's it's incredibly powerful. And yesterday, looking at it, it just felt like seeing the players, seeing the teams, all the crowd being part of that was was absolutely the right. It felt it would have felt so. Flat to to just have the gates locked up and everyone be sat at home and and these things will happen. The f- football will mark the moment, whether it be midweek or next weekend. And just hitting it this weekend, it would have been the the way to do it. And and cricket proved that. And and they also did it in the right way by getting back to it straight afterwards and and getting on the pitch and getting on with the job of of entertaining people and competing. That's what they're there for. There's no nothing controversial there. One thing I would like to say, I, I really think it was interesting and, again, speaks quite well of Ben Stokes, the captain, that when they had the meeting, it, was, you know, it wasn't guaranteed by any means that Saturday's play would go ahead. And Ben Stokes tweeted out that, uh, that he, he would be, he, she loved sport, would be honoured to play, you know. And he made that really, really clear before a firm call had been made. And just on a on a unrelated but but relevant note to the cricket side of things, this is a fellow who is dead set on speaking his mind and having his voice heard. And you know he, he would know that by tweeting out the fact that he wanted to play, that would move the dial of the conversation and be a relevant factor. And so for Ben Stokes to make it really clear while the thing was up in the air, probably went a fair way. And we know there's money money and and refunds and all that stuff involved and, and they would like to get the game on for loads of reasons but that was relevant and and it was Ben Stokes the captain sort of standing up and being part of the conversation which is a really good sign it is isn't it I, I mean he he's increasingly showing himself to be that kind of a captain um on big issues and on, you know on, on county cricket for example and yeah and how he feels that you know that should play out uh it's it's it, it, yeah I mean he's an incredibly impressive man and the build-up to the game getting on was rather extraordinary itself, wasn't it? Because we had 
those bizarre scenes on Thursday when people were unsure why the players weren't out there, you know, why the ground staff were faffing about, you know, we had not a great deal of rain really. Um, and I think the truth of that was that there was real concern that if the uh, if the announcement of the Queen's death had come during play, that would have been a really bad optic. You know, you can imagine sort of crowd uh, simultaneously cheering a wicket or a 50 or something at the precise moment that the announcement would come through, people listening on their headsets. So we on TMS would have instantly had to sort of cut programming and an announcement would have been mm. made and the, the sort of shock of that would have rippled around the stadium and it wouldn't have looked good, really. Mid-DRS referral, you know. Well, it could have been. Waiting could... for Ultra Edge while the news comes through would have been a cliffhanger, wouldn't it? Well, it, 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 yes. I mean, it is basically um, one of the authorities' worst nightmares is what happens if if the monarch dies while you're, while you're playing sport, you know, because uh, there are so many sensitivities around that and one can debate them or not, I mean, but they they exist and so it, it looked a little bit shambolic on the Thursday but I don't think it could have been anything other than shambolic really because it's not that it's unprecedented of course you know George VI died on the first day of test match but that was taking place in India and it wasn't being televised live and there probably wasn't live radio of it either I don't think in, uh, certainly not in England so um, you know the, all the protocols hadn't been put in place the BBC and all the broadcasters have been preparing, they always do, for the death of a monarch, and they have rehearsals for it every year. But you still you still don't know what to do in the actual actual moment if actual cricket's actually happening. So it all felt a little bit um, higgledy-piggledy. And then I sort of thought, and a lot of, a lot of people did, I think, that, well, that's going to be it. There's, there's no way they're mm. going to be able to get the game on. They'll have to have a a day of of mourning on the Friday and then it's going to be awkward. But actually the authorities were superb in in how they waited for the DCMS guidance. Um, They allowed football to jump and that made more people think, Mm -hmm. oh, well, that'll be it. But they didn't. They they were resolute in their ambition to get the game on. Uh, But, of course, they were desperately trying to get a fifth day, a sixth day out of it. And um, in the second part, I want to talk about that firstly. 99.94 99.94 is more than just this podcast. Jared Kimber has Red Inca and Double Century, one show that talks about the modern global game, and the other that is a deep dive into our sports history. And Double Century will now appear weekly, but there is also our expanding network of teams, England, South Africa, India, West Indies, and now the Sri Lankan show. If you want to find them, the best way is to follow us on social media at 9994DM, downloading our app, or Google 99.94 Podcasts. So yes, the um, the issue seemed: is it really worth getting a game on for three days in terms of a game? And then you know there are other issues around that. Would it be a fitting tribute to the late Queen? Um, how would the players hold up playing? How would the South Africans um, feel about playing this game? And so one of the sort of initial parts of the um, negotiations, I suppose, was how can we get a sixth day in? And the South Africans, in the end, I say flatly refused, said they can't do it because they're flying yeah. back to South Africa on Tuesday, which is the day that the sixth day would have been. And I'm not going to criticise them at all because we've talked about player burnout, talked about players flying around from place to place. They've got a series in India that starts, remind me, about the 23rd of September, I think. Yeah. So, 
we find ourselves just with this enormous fixture pileup, don't we, where there isn't even space in the schedule to find one day in extraordinary circumstances. And this speaks to a sort of wider concern. We discussed it about women's cricket the other day and how that's affected Nat Siver and the team. Um, what did you make of all that? I thought it was perfectly reasonable that South Africa would stick to their plans. The The events were unexpected, and that, but that doesn't mean that they're duty-bound in any way to, to rip up the schedule. The players are on a pretty tight time scale, as you know, for when they fly back and forth. And, you know, it'd be really lovely if they could actually see their family in between times. So no no issues there at all. I mean, listen, we've, we've in journal, as journalists, we've all done long tours. And God, you, you, you circle that day in the diary when you're on a long one. And they've been here for quite a while, South Africa. You circle that day in the diary and wild horses wouldn't hold you back. I mean, last earlier this year, my flight from the West Indies got delayed 24 hours. And I rang my office to sort of, you know, to get, get it rebooked and stuff. And they went, oh, look at you, extra, extra night in Barbados. And I was like, there's nowhere I want to be less in the world. I want to be in my own bed, like, as soon as possible. So totally understand it. And also, there's, there is the slightly pragmatic thing of the idea that they are shooting for that World Test Championship final. And if they felt in any way, and I'm not saying that definitely was the motivating factor or the key motivating factor, but if there was anything in the world that said to them that they had a better chance of of getting what they needed to get out of this game by not agreeing, do it. It's you know, that's, that's what you do. You know, you, you try and maximise your side of the pie, don't you? And as, as a final factor, I would add in that England weren't spectacularly flexible when they cancelled that one-day series in South Africa in the COVID. They were they stayed in South Africa for the exact amount of time that they were supposed to be there, but didn't leave the hotel, lovely hotel, um, because of the concerns over a spread of COVID. And South Africa were desperate to get those games on and... and to get their their TV contract fulfilled and and get out on the park, and England didn't feel able to make that concession. They are going back in January if it goes ahead. Uh, but you know these you've got got to remember sometimes you're on the other side of those negotiations, and England weren't willing to weren't willing to do that then. And, and if South Africa aren't willing to do this this time, well, they're they're, they're staying in England exactly as long as they were asked to. And actually, you know, I, I said we weren't going to talk too much about the game. We will in the third part have a little look at, at Ollie Robinson and uh, Harry Brook, but just a word on how difficult it must have been to bat. You know, I mean, there's a lot of things in, in the game that don't feel 100% right. The toss took place two days ago and it sort of holds, you know, and then the occasion was so overwhelming, for, I think, that if you were going out to bat after that, even though it's not your head of state, um, you couldn't have failed to have been slightly, well, m- more than slightly put off your game. I mean, I would not have wanted yeah. to be Dean Elgar and Sorrel Irvia going out yeah. under those circumstances and going out as you know, going out as, as the bowling side wouldn't have been easy either. But you are actually all 11 of you together and it's a slightly different thing you're doing, isn't it? You're hurling the ball. If you're the one yeah. facing it, you need your mind to be absolutely clear. And, uh, and it can't have been. There's just no way <laughs> it can have been. The only thing I'd say is actually Dean Elgar managed to put in a really consistent, he, he managed to tune into exactly the mindset that he's been operating under all, all summer. He he really brought his 2022 game yesterday and did exactly what he's, exactly what he's been doing all series. 
Well, there's truth to that. <laughs> there's truth to that. But but genuinely, I think it would have been I think it would have been pretty tough actually yeah. to go out and bat yeah. under those circumstances. Um, now then, if you love cricket and we want to hear and you want to hear more, head over to the ninety nine point nine four app. You can hear all our podcasts and our commentary. We're the home of cricket audio online, and we're adding new shows and covering series all the time. The best way to follow us is via our app or on social media at nine 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 four DM. Welcome to Cricket's Conversation. Um, in the last part, I just want to have a little dwell on Ollie Robinson on the first day. We don't know of how many. Uh, we were, it could be two days. It could be three days in what is fast becoming the shortest three-test series in the history of cricket. Um, first mm. game was done and dusted inside two playing days. Second game inside two and a half days. And in part, this is because of the quality of the bowling and to a degree, the quality and approach of the batting. I think if you look at South Africa's batting lineup, it's very inexperienced. When they left out Aidan Markram at the start of play, the only person who had over a thousand runs in Test cricket was Dean Elgar. Keshav Maharaj has joined him by scoring <laughs> fourteen and moves to a thousand and ten. But you know that does speak to a pretty weak lineup. You look at England; they've got Root, even Broad and Anderson have over a thousand. Yeah, they should do after 500 uh, matches yes. or something. You know, two, yes, two know. runs a match. <laughs> I know, but you know, there's there's but there's plenty of experience in England's lineup, yeah. And although the batting isn't massively firing, um, there are players who, who their approach is, is more what's causing the speed of the games, isn't it? As we saw with Ben Stokes' innings. But just to dwell a bit on Ollie Robinson first, I mean, he bowled about as well on the first day of that test match as as anybody I've ever seen in England. He stood it up. He was he was wobbling it one side to the other. It was virtually impossible to play. I think it was Kyle Verena who got out to a delivery and I was on commentary with Mark Rampakash. I said, well, has he got turned round a bit? Has he played that right? And Ramp said, actually, Dan, he's shown the full face of the bat. The outside edge of his bat is covering off stump. The ball has flicked it. He couldn't have done he's anything. Done part, yeah. He couldn't yeah. have done anything else. And Robinson was just finding the exact right amount of nibble. And he looked, I mean, he actually looked like the attack leader. He looked, he's come back into the side. Uh, when he took his fifth wicket, his average fell below 20, um, which is, I know it's a, an early start to his career, but he's, he's bowled in Australia against Australians on Australian pitches, uh, as well as in the West Indies and, and in England. So, you know, not the best bowling conditions. And he mm. has looked supreme. Well, actually, yeah, he, I mean, he didn't even play any of those games in the West Indies. Oh, no. You know, he no, he you're was right. injured, injured throughout. So this this set of numbers that he's put up has come exclusively from bowling against New Zealand and India when they were the top two teams in the World Test Championship last year, bowling in Australia against Australia in a losing Ashes series, and then this summer against good good team. So... You know, there's been there's been no no freebies really. He's he's got a really authentic set of stats there to look on and say that's a proper a proper reflection of what he can offer. And he is increasingly fascinating, Ollie Robinson, because his body of work in the 22 yards is exceptional. He's turning up and doing it. And standing shoulder to shoulder with Broad and Anderson, and no one's ever no one's ever done it quite as well as this. There's been, I mean, Chris Walks in his in his sort of best eighteen months was probably 
the same. He was probably in England. Yeah, pull it. Yeah, exactly right. Pulling his share of the water. But we haven't seen somebody make quite as compelling a case that they could hold hold that line when when Broad and Anderson do finish, as as Robinson has done. All at the same time as finding a way to be involved in loads of unwanted headlines. You know, from the historic tweets right in, on day one of his international career, coaches coming out saying he's not fit enough. It's been a it's been a ride, you know, mm. for him. But if he can come through that and quit quit making the bad headlines, and it's you know, I, I spent on an earlier podcast, we spoke to him at Old Trafford, and he gave a very very plausible account of a guy who had clicked in the brain that what what he needed to do and who he needed to be. Crikey, if he can get he can get his head in that spot, the ball is doing everything it needs to do. Well, his pitch mount was extraordinary yesterday. It was a, a cluster on exactly the right length that he wanted it. And then very occasionally, I think, who was it? Was a battery tempted? Might have been Janssen, was it? He t- tempted with a wider one. And, and the beauty is that you knew that that was deliberate. The, the wonder of watching Robinson bowl is that if he puts it out there a little bit wider, as a commentator, you don't think, oh, he's just missed his length there, he's missed his line. You think, ah, <laughs> that's part of the setup. <laughs> and. Um, so, so actually, here's, here's just one for you. Given his sort of county cricket pack of stats and, and season upon season of good stuff that got him to this point and the way he has then turned up, do we think Sam Cook is the next guy who could come in and and replicate and, and take what he's done at domestic level and find a way? I know that they do really like him, but he hasn't found a way. He hasn't found a way quite through that yet. But I was struck last week that he was superstar in the 100 final, mm-hmm. immediately, you know, did his press conference with a nice bottle of beer at Lord's, enjoyed himself, straight back to Essex, red ball in hand, superstar again. I mean, if if England don't fancy taking Broad and Anderson, and I don't know for a fact what they're thinking about Pakistan test matches, but it does, it does it increasingly feels like Sam Cook is demanding attention. And you think the Ollie Robinson um, ex- example might yeah. allow people to think slightly out of the box. Yeah, I think there's, there might be something in that. And apart from anything else, from a headline writer's point of view, it's a, it's a wonderful life for Sam <laughs> Cook. It's just waiting <laughs> to be written, isn't it? Yeah, that's exactly now, right. Someone who, whose life was wonderful but didn't have the most wonderful of days was Harry Brook. Um, he got off the mark with what looked like an elegant four, but if you looked at the, the replay, Pat twisted in his hand. It's not one that he'll necessarily uh, want to remember. And then he... Flicked a ball down to long leg to be caught by Rabada, a kind of key moment in the game with England looking to pile on a big lead and it sort of helped to bring South Africa right back into the game. But he looked at home, didn't he? His, his feet were moving well. Um, his technique looked nice. The way he got out was you know, you, anyone could get out like that. And there is a sense that this England team, you know, they showed a great deal of urgency on that first day with the bat, trying to get ahead trying to make sure that a three-day game wasn't going to be an impediment to getting getting a yeah. positive result. So, yeah, how, how did you feel his, his day went? Phil, it was a, a... It's an overused expression, probably, but I felt it was a free hit. I don't think, I don't think any of it will stick to him, good or, good or bad, really, because you talked about going out to bat on that first... Mo- well, third morning, first morning, whatever you want to call it, and it being unusual. Well, imagine making your test debut in this 
this week. Uh, you know, you, you've had a, a washout of a day when your adrenaline's probably absolutely pumping. You've had a washout. Then you've had a cancellation because the Queen has died. Then you are asked to go and try and have your first little outing, your first experience of test cricket in a three-day test when the captain is saying, let's bloody get on with this and usher this thing to a conclusion. It's not natural. It's not normal. And I don't think, I think they probably would have said to Harry Brook, listen, just go, have feel the bat on the ball and we'll, we'll worry about the rest of it another time. Yeah, I think that's pretty much right, actually. I mean, it looked like that for the entire batting unit, with the exception of John, uh, exception of John, exception of Zach Crawley, who looked like, yet again, he was trying to prove that he wasn't the player that the England management said that he is, that they were happy to have in the team. Uh, that, yeah. that, I fear, is going to be for another podcast because the, well, the yeah, Crawley, listen, the Crawley other, experiment is becoming more and, and more Leeds, baffling. Yeah. The opening situation is going to require, demand a little bit of surgery at some point, isn't it? We've only been talking about that since about 2013. So um, <laughs> it's the gift that keeps on giving to podcasters in England and, and probably around the world for all I know. But um, we're going to leave it there. We'll be back after this test match. And this series is concluded when we'll have a look back at England's test match summer and see if we can draw any conclusions from what, what will either be five wins, two losses, six wins, one loss, or possibly five wins, one win and one loss. Not so sure about that, I have to say. Thanks for listening to England on 99.94. Please rate, review and subscribe. You can download the 99.94 app from where you get your apps. And you can follow us personally on Twitter at Norcross Cricket and at The RVD, which is Rory's Twitter and Instagram. That's T-H-E-R-V-D. Of course, Rory was going to be difficult. We'll put links up for everything we do there. Remember, if you love cricket, then 99.94 is the home of cricket audio. Follow them for podcasts and commentary from the world of cricket. Running should be simple. Just put on your shoes and go. And yet, when you try to learn about how to get better at it, especially as you age, you're confronted with conflicting advice, complicated workouts, and confusing nutrition trends that just won't work for you. On The Planted Runner, I'll share exactly how to run faster, longer, and feel great doing it at any age because you don't have time to waste. I'm Coach Claire Bartholik, and I went from not running at all in my late 30s to finishing a marathon in 2.58 at age 42, all on a plant-based diet. I've helped hundreds of runners achieve new personal records well into their 60s and even 70s with science-back training, plant-based nutrition, and proven mental strength techniques. Each episode of The Planted Runner is like a private coaching session on the run where you'll learn from me and the guests I interview. You'll get actionable lessons to help you become a better runner every week and reach goals you never thought possible. Whether you're training for your first 5K or your 50th marathon, take along the planted runner on your next run. Let me show you how your best running is still ahead of you.